Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. I'm Michelle Elman and I'm a five board accredited life coach and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. And welcome to the final episode of season two. I am actually going to take a little break to give me some time to chill. It's been a little bit full on. I kind of went straight into podcast recording right after all the press, after my book launch. And so it's been like book publication, then this season, and I have my US book coming out in August. So I just need a little bit of a break. It's coming out on August 17th. For any of you American listeners who want to pre-order, you can pre-order now. But right before then, I'm going to take a month to recoup, re-energise, give my brain a little break and also come up with new ideas and to kind of have a fresh approach to season three and I just think no one can be this constant machine of outputting content and it's really important to take time to absorb, learn and integrate my own life lessons So I'll be back with season three very soon with new energy. But for now, here is the latest episode and the last episode of the season. This week, we are talking about apologies. There is such an art to apologies, but the problem is we are never taught how to apologise properly. And when we are taught it, we are being taught it usually by people who don't know how to apologise themselves. I truly believe that communication is the key to any relationship. But if you were to segment what communication actually means into two categories, I would say that's knowing how to fight and knowing how to apologise. The way most kids are often taught is they do something like grab someone's toy and the parent says, say you're sorry. The kid repeats it like a parrot and then all is done and dusted. But I just think this is what is so messed up about how we learn apologies. Because first of all, most of the kids saying they are sorry don't actually feel sorry. They don't know the meaning of the word originally when they're younger. And then when they do know the meaning of the word, because they're just repeating their parents and also doing it to avoid trouble or because their parent told them to do so, they again don't really understand the meaning behind it. Then the receiving kid is forced to say they forgive them when a lot of the time they don't. Because it's obvious when someone is saying they're sorry just because they are told to say it and not when they actually mean it. If I just use a silly example of like my brother and I growing up, me and my brother are less than a year apart. So we had a lot of fights growing up. 
My brother quickly learned the knack of apologising first. And because he always apologised first, he never got into trouble. Or he'd always do the thing of like pulling a face behind my parents' back while he's apologising. And it would wind me up so much. And it worked because then I would get angry and then I'd be the one in trouble. And usually when I was getting angry, the thing I'd be angry about is the fact that he's saying sorry. My mum's being like, but your brother's sorry. And I'll be saying, but he doesn't mean it. I mean, it's quite obvious he doesn't mean it when he's pulling a face at me. And my mum would always be like, of course he does, accept your brother's apology. And it's just such a messy approach to apologising. Because now I believe a true apology is one that comes with changed behaviour. And to change your behaviour, you actually have to know what you did wrong and want to repent for that behaviour because they're actually sorry. And that if an apology is just words, it's manipulation. It's like in romantic relationships when one person does something repeatedly and they keep apologising and somehow the rule is you aren't allowed to be mad because they said they're sorry. Or the friend who always turns up late and she says sorry every single time but at what point is saying I'm sorry pointless and meaningless when you keep doing it? And why do I owe you forgiveness when you can just say two easy words and my memory is meant to be wiped? It's why I'm so passionate about teaching people how to apologise and in fact it's shocking how many grown men I've had to teach in relationships how to apologise because they think I'm sorry you feel that way is an acceptable way to apologise. When a guy once said this to me I actually typed it into Google and the first link that comes up is a Wikipedia page that's called non-apology apology and I screenshot it and sent it to him. That is quite a passive aggressive way of doing things and I probably wouldn't do that now but it is a non-apology apology. And because I was 21 and I wouldn't do that now, I want to share with you positive examples of how I apologise sincerely. So the last time I properly apologised to someone was again with a guy I was dating. I was actually sorry, I knew I was wrong and I really wanted to apologise because I regretted what I said. It was a really complicated situation and I don't really want to go into the details of it because I don't think that's fair for the other party. But long story short, we were in a disagreement and I said something along the lines of, frankly, this is boring to me now. If it's this much effort, we should just go our separate ways. We were in a conversation discussing our future, so I didn't say it as like a flippant remark or even a threat. I did actually mean it when I said that part. But the part that I believe deserved the apology was when I said boring. And likewise, boring was the part he was upset about. He was fine about the other stuff because we were actually trying to decide whether this was going to work. It was in the pandemic, so it was a complicated situation. But he said that the boring part had hurt him. And I didn't mean it to hurt. I hadn't said it with the intention to hurt. And so I did want to apologise. So I sent a text saying, I'm really sorry. This hasn't been boring. That isn't true. And I shouldn't have said it. I was hurt and it didn't come out the way I intended it. I meant the situation was boring me and not that you were boring me but either way it shouldn't have been said and I know that would have hurt me if you had said that to me so it won't happen again. For me it's about acknowledging their feelings, how they would have felt, correcting the statement you said and then reassuring them that it won't happen again and if it's a specific situation I often also always say next time I will. I'm not sure I believe in a perfect apology, but I do know a good apology and a bad apology. When I sent this, he said he really appreciated it and the conversation continued. We eventually did decide to keep dating and it didn't happen again because I did mean it. And that's the important part. When you mean an apology and when someone genuinely forgives you, it's resolved. It doesn't come up again. It doesn't keep resurfacing. And you also are not allowed to bring it up 20 years later being like, and 20 years ago, you did that thing. 
in terms of what an apology should include, there are some theories on how to create that perfect apology. Gary Chapman, the creator of Love Languages, has also created the idea of apology languages. Now, I don't entirely agree with this, but I thought I'd share it with you anyway in case it resonates with you. I don't entirely agree with this idea that there's a preference of how people want apologies. I am of the belief that we all need all the apology languages in one apology but I thought I would share with you the five anyway in case it serves you. They are expressing regret, accepting responsibility, genuine repentance, making restitution and asking forgiveness. Again I hesitate with this because I don't ever request forgiveness because I believe that should happen in one's own time and I'm not owed it. I don't think you should give an apology expecting forgiveness and I also think a phrase like I shouldn't have said that like I used in the previous apology could fit into expressing regret and also accepting responsibility so it's not as clear-cut as Gary Chapman implies. The final thing I would hesitate on is making restitution because saying something like this is getting boring like in the previous situation is a relatively small offence and that's not by my definition that's by the guy I was saying it to so I didn't need to go to the extent of making it up to him per se or taking him out for dinner to apologise so I just add some caveats to it and I don't fully agree with this way of thinking but it encapsulates a lot more than what the average person is taught and it does have elements of it that I've not heard anywhere else. So whilst the idea of apology languages doesn't really resonate with me, I do think the elements that he talks about are important and is useful to use when thinking about what you should include in your apology. And I know some people will say, oh, well, that it's very over the top. But to be honest, how often are you needing to apologise? Because the fact is, I don't apologise that much. So if I do need to apologise, I don't mind going to lengths to apologise or saying a lot to apologise. Like, for example, it's July 2021 at the moment. And I had to go back to 2020 for that example, which means I'm okay with genuinely taking the time and energy to apologise at length because it's not like I'm doing it every day. And when I fuck up, I do want to be accountable for it. So waffled on long enough. Let's get into the episode. And as a special treat, this is an extra long episode and I'm going to answer four questions instead of three. Hi, Michelle. So I've got this thing that not only am I bad at apologising, but I hate when people apologise to me. I just find it really cringy and corny and actually like insincere. I do. And I, I realise that this is ridiculous and I don't know where it's come from. But when people apologise to me, I don't believe that they're truly sorry. I think like they're only apologising because I've called them out on it. And every time I'll find myself thinking, well, if they were really sorry, they wouldn't have done it in the first place. Which again, I know like that's not how life works. Um, as for me apologising to other people, this is something that I'd like tips on as well, uh, just uh, getting better at. Because I can't keep being that person who just brushes an argument under the carpet, then just carries on with that person as if nothing's happened. But every time I try and apologise, I feel like it sounds like a staged scene in some reality TV show. Why do I feel so uncomfortable with apologies, either receiving or giving? And what can I do to get my head around it? I'd love to hear any of your ideas. So thank you so much, Michelle. And I'm loving the podcast. 
Hey there. So I actually know this person, um, but I don't know if she wants me to reveal who she is. So I'll just say that I love your energy. And that was probably the most energetic voice note I have had. Um, So this could be a number of things. And I'm just going to throw things out there and see what lands. No shocker here. I'm going to go back to childhood. So did you grow up in a childhood where you were forced to apologise but didn't actually mean it? Or the kind of families where you had to say sorry almost reflexively without thinking about it or having time to reflect and that as soon as something happened, a second later, you are meant to apologise? This could be what's going on here. The other thing is this feeling of it being cheesy or cringy or corny or in a movie or a cliché is just your ego talking. It is using that as a protection device to not feel what you actually feel, whether that's feeling hurt when someone apologises or when you apologise, using that to not really feel into your apology and genuinely mean it. The sincere part, now that is real. And it would make me ask the question, do you find apologies more sincere when they take time to apologise? So take a moment to contemplate and then maybe the next day go, oh, so I thought about it and I'm wrong rather than them apologising in the moment. If it's a time thing for you, my challenge to you is some people it takes time and for some people they feel bad instantly. For me, for example, I feel bad instantly. Even when it takes me a week to apologise, I know right away and sometimes my anger was too much in the way or my own hurt about the things you did to apologise were in the way so that I didn't apologise instantly, but I know I did bad pretty much as soon as I do it. I would also challenge the statement, I hate it when people apologise to me. And instead, I would ask if you only really hate it when people apologise to you and don't mean it. Because I think we all hate insincere apologies because that does feel gross. And for me, it feels manipulative because I'm pressured to forgive you when I know you're just saying it to get the situation over and done with. And that I hate. But I doubt that you really hate a genuine apology. And if that's what you're referring to, I was actually in this situation recently and he apologised so quickly and in a style of, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, can we just draw a line under this? I want it to be done with this conversation. And so in a situation like that, I understand why you hate it and how I handled this myself is I just said, hey, I know you're uncomfortable right now and I know you're uncomfortable in this conversation, but I don't think you actually understand why I'm upset and I really can't brush this under the carpet. I need to actually talk about it. So I want you to go into your mind and recall an instant in your life when an apology felt insincere and ask yourself, was it an apology with a lack of understanding? Or maybe it was an apology without any change or an apology without any thought. I want you to take a moment and really consider what is the signifier of a real apology and how you find this is you then go and recall a time when you truly felt someone was sorry. What was the difference in that instance? You can also do this for where you were truly sorry and what is the difference between when you truly mean it and when you don't and notice the difference between your two different types of apologies. For me, the difference is feeling behind it and I think this is your solution in general. You need to get into your feelings. When I apologise and I'm genuine about it, I feel guilt. Like when I got that text from that guy when I said this situation was boring, I felt guilty and funnily enough it's exactly what you said about only feeling guilty when you're being called out and I'm going to rephrase it for you as to how I see it. 
The reason why I felt guilty as soon as he replied and not when I said it is because I didn't mean it in a hurtful way when I said it, so I felt no guilt. When he told me I hurt him, I felt guilty then because I don't want to hurt someone I like. But that feeling of guilt was not associated with being called out. And so yes, technically I only felt bad when he told me. But in your words, there is no way I could have felt bad for doing it if I didn't know or think I was doing anything bad. Now, if this was a different situation and I had done something intentionally or hurt someone on purpose, so let's just say I did the exact same thing, but I said it to be mean, said it to hurt him, then to answer your question, if you really felt bad, then you wouldn't have done it in the first place, sometimes you need time to realise what you've done. And I would challenge that statement with another statement. If you really felt bad, it's not that you wouldn't have done it in the first place, it's that you wouldn't do it again. And that is actually why I don't hurt people in arguments, because I used to, but I learnt from it, which makes me hazard a guess that you are very hard on yourself when you do something wrong. It also makes me question whether you had an upbringing, maybe a teacher or an adult in your life that used to make a very big deal out of genuine mistakes, genuine accidents, like breaking a plate, for example. Because when you apologise when you were younger and it was never really accepted, or it might have been accepted but they continued to act off with you for the rest of the day, it becomes really hard to trust apologies. And even with your apologies, it all comes back to feelings. If you genuinely feel an apology when you receive it, or you genuinely give an apology from your heart, it feels different. And therefore, unsurprisingly, I would start with your own relationship to your own apologies. And the place to start is to give yourself a genuine apology. Because if you don't believe your own apologies, that means you've never truly forgiven yourself for anything you've ever done. And you deserve your own forgiveness, first and foremost. So I hope those things help. I hope one of those things resonated with you. And I'm sending you so much love. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations, we are talking about Ginny and Georgia. Every week I dissect dysfunctional conversations that I see on TV and we use it as an opportunity to improve our own communication. 
Ginny and Georgia is a new Netflix show that very much focuses in on the mother-daughter relationship between the two main characters, Ginny and Georgia. And whilst it's not really set in a realistic world, it does demonstrate the complexity and the issues that arise in a relationship like that. And there's one scene which I wanted to comment on, particularly because I believe that's what causes the main issues between mothers and daughters and parents and children in general. Ginny and Georgia are in a fight and Ginny, her daughter, says the words, you are just jealous that I get to do this and you don't. You see, her mum grew up with a life and a childhood in which she didn't have much, had to fight for everything she had and had to work hard for it. And so when a person like that has children, more than anything, they want their children to have access to the things they didn't have. And that could be via money, but it also could be stability that they didn't have or the family unit that they didn't have. It's a general feeling from parents that they want better for their child than they had. And it's a beautiful, giving, caring element of being a parent, although it comes with a caveat. Sometimes what you want for your child, the thing you never had, is what your child doesn't want. The reason why you want it for your child so badly is because you didn't have it. And therefore the absence of that thing creates the great desire for it. But if a person doesn't have that absence, sometimes they don't have the same craving for it because ultimately they are a separate person and they don't necessarily want something that you want. So when the parent wants it more for the child than the child wants it for themselves, that can create an issue. In the same way that an affectionate person would want a hug to feel better and if that person never got hugs as a child, they might bombard their children with hugs. But their child might not be comforted by hugs. So actually, in reality, the healthy parenting comes by being able to separate your own wants and desires for your child from the wants and desires your child actually has. And in order to do that, you sometimes need to acknowledge the socially unacceptable feelings like jealousy. When Ginny, her daughter, says, you are just jealous that I'd get to do this and you don't, it was in connection to prom, I think. And she's right, her mum didn't get a prom. And all she wished for at her daughter's age was to be normal and get to enjoy that stuff. The problem is, rather than acknowledging those feelings of jealousy inside of her, she suppresses it and she denies it, which means it comes out in her behaviour anyway. So when I say acknowledge those feelings inside her, the healthy and functional thing to do would have been if her mother, prior to this incident, noticed her feelings of jealousy, taken herself away from the situation by just saying, oh, I'll leave you girls to go get ready or whatever, and then go into her own room, find some alone time and let herself feel jealous. Acknowledge the feeling exists. I don't believe she should be vocalising it to her daughter because that will create more feelings in her daughter. But no harm is caused by acknowledging the feelings of jealousy. And then actually what she needs to do is go back to her younger self, grieve and break her heart over her younger self who didn't get to enjoy those things and really feel bad for her younger self that that's all she wanted in the world and she never got to have it. And that's really bloody sad that she didn't get to be a child. She had a lost childhood. You need to grieve that childhood she was missing. Because when you deny you are jealous because it's perceived as an ugly emotion... 
especially an ugly emotion for a parent to have about a child. We deny it, we suppress it, and it comes across in her behaviour anyway. It is projected. Denying your feelings is never the solution. You're always allowed to feel how you feel. Whether you vocalise how you feel is a different conversation. And especially in a mother-daughter dynamic, it's not your child's job to fix your emotions. And therefore, if she did vocalise her jealousy, her child might feel the need to look after her mother and that's not the way the dynamic should work. So I just want to demonstrate how this way doesn't work by pretending she's not jealous, but also in this situation, talking about it openly and honestly wouldn't work either. What needs to happen is it's a feeling that needs to be felt in the privacy of her room and that's when you might want to talk to a therapist, a partner or a friend about that feeling of jealousy, but it wouldn't be appropriate for her to talk to her daughter about it. A little bit more of a complex situation, but you've been listening to me all season, so I think we can get into more complex things this episode. Hey, Michelle. I've noticed as I've been getting back out there with post-COVID restrictions that I am committing some microaggressions and recognizing them in the moment And I'm wondering if the appropriate thing to do is to acknowledge and apologize in that moment, especially when it's someone that you won't see again. So that's the first part of my question. And then the second part of my question is, I guess, kind of around like understanding that someone may accept your apology in the moment because that's a polite thing to do, but... I still have to sit with the fact that I did that, you know, and like, how do I work through that in a way that's productive and um, like leads me to a better outcome next time? Thanks. Hey there. So first of all, well done on the self-awareness to notice you are doing small microaggressions. That is very self-aware and deserves acknowledgement. And since you are noticing them in the moment, I would also say, apologize in the moment even if it's someone you won't see again because part of my belief is that you always want to be acting in line with your own morals and your own integrity you want to be a person you are proud of and if you wouldn't want to be spoken to that way then fix it you'll feel better about yourself and you will like yourself more and you know what it doesn't even need to be a big deal it can be a quick oh sorry I shouldn't have said it that way that wasn't nice or oh sorry that was a bit snappy nothing about you at all I'm just having a bit of a day because you don't know how it's impacting that person you're talking to. The second part of your question, I just want to address the part of it where you say someone may accept the apology in the moment. So I want to break this idea down because I think it doesn't help anyone. So in my life, if I'm apologising to anyone, I will often say, you don't have to get back to me about this right now. Or I know you might not be ready to forgive me, but I'd love to talk to you when you're ready. I always acknowledge that to give them the choice and the option to take time. When someone is apologising to me and I'm not a great person at forgiving someone quickly if they have hurt me, sometimes I don't care enough so I just forgive them in the moment but if I need time I ask for it. So again it's about integrity. I don't lie, I don't say things to be polite, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. So often I will say something like I really appreciate your apology I'm going to need some time and space to just digest all of this. Can I talk to you next week? Or if I don't know when I'm going to feel ready, I'll just say I'll reach out to you when I'm feeling ready. 
The reason why I want to break this idea is because it almost leads back to the first question. If you accept apologies quickly out of politeness, you will find it hard to believe other people's apologies. In terms of the rest of your question, what you're actually asking about is self-forgiveness and how to actually change your behaviour. So I'm going to use an example. Let's say you lose your temper a lot and you apologise but you still feel guilty about what you did. The way you stop feeling guilty about it is genuinely knowing you've learned from it and won't do it again. How do you stop yourself from doing it again? When you feel that urge to lose your temper and you can feel it coming, do something different. Do anything different. For me, it's I excuse myself from the situation. I leave the room. I leave the conversation. This comes down to keeping your word to yourself and this will allow you to forgive yourself. Also understanding why you did what you did. What was underlying it? A lot of the time when we do things we wouldn't be proud of, it's as a protection. So look underneath it. Was it fear? Was it anger? Look at how that instance made you feel and then sit with that feeling. If someone creates a big amount of emotions in you, that's when we feel less control of our behaviour. And that's when we have to take a step back, take a breath, and that will give you time between the stimulus, so the thing that's happening, and the reaction, what you did about it. In the middle of this lies the meaning you interpreted. And that meaning often creates a feeling that made you react in a way that you wouldn't have consciously chosen. So let's say someone cancelled on you last minute and you got really angry and you swore at them, hypothetically. I don't know why that was the first thing that came in my head, but we're going with it. If you sat with it, maybe the last minute cancellation made you feel rejected. And if I were to ask you what someone cancelling on you last minute means, you might say it means they found something better to do. And if I were to ask you what that means, you might say it means you're boring and everyone else is more fun to spend time with. There you go. That's what you work on. So the stimulus was them cancelling. The meaning you took is that people don't want to spend time with you and you're boring. And the response was you swearing. But you all of that happened so quickly that you couldn't unpick that. When you sit down with it, you can unpick it as three separate things happening so that you can heal and work on it. So now go do that with your own situation and that will make you much more likely to not repeat it because you'll know what's underlying it. Very likely that is the feeling you've been avoiding. So I'm sending you lots of love and best of luck. This week's three quick tips are for people who hate apologising. Number one, remove the idea that you have lost by apologising. In unhealthy dynamics, a fight means you versus them. In healthy relationships, it's you and them as a team versus the problem. So if you're on the same team and the apology leads to a resolution and both parties feel better for the apology, how is that a loss? That is your ego talking. Your ego is not wanting to admit that you've done something wrong and therefore sticks its heels in, but reframe it. You haven't lost, you're both winning. Number two, apologies require bravery and strength. Admitting you are wrong is hard. So it's absurd to me that anyone has ever taught us that apologies mean you are weak. Those who believe apologizing is weak, I believe have been conditioned by the patriarchy and that if you have healthy self-esteem, when someone apologizes, you don't think they're weak or that they caved, but instead that they are genuinely sorry and you appreciate that they care enough about you to admit it. Number three, take some time. If you know you should apologize and you just can't bring yourself to do it in the moment, take a step away from the conversation. We all have those moments when you are still arguing but you know you should be apologising and taking accountability for your part of it and in that moment it's a pointless conversation. What you need is space and then come back to the person when you're ready to apologise. 
Same with children. Let them apologize in their own time and not when you want them to. Hi, Michelle. I'm Raphael. Uh, years ago, like 10 years ago, I think, I saw a convo in a TV show, which really stuck with me because fundamentally I disagreed. Um, you had two characters, two women, I would call them A and B. So B had done something wrong to A without A knowing. Six months after it happened, B would go to A and told the whole story and A would ask her why have you waited for six months? And B said, I tried, but you didn't want to hear any apologies. Um, and A finally replied, well, then you should have tried every day for the past six months. I would like you thought about that, um, about namely what to do when people are not ready for an apology. In that case, it's a bit misleading because apparently A didn't even know that it happened, but um, in both cases, actually, whether they do know or not, um, what would you do? Um, it feels very counterintuitive to myself to actually force a boundary uh, if people refuse the apology. But um, would you recommend doing a non-direct uh, apology or just, you know, sit with it, even though it may imply that people six months later will tell you you should have tried harder? Thank you, Michelle. Hey there, so I really agree with you. I think it's bad boundaries if someone doesn't accept your apology and you continue persisting and contacting them when they've told you to stop. And maybe it's because I only really have people in my life with good communication, but how I work is if I did something wrong and I really did something bad that would take time to forgive me, I will apologise wholeheartedly once and I will often say, take as long as you need to forgive me. I'm always here to talk if you want to know anything more or resolve anything or if you have any more questions. If I haven't heard from you in a few weeks, I would probably reach out again once and ask something like, hey, do you want to hang out? Is there anything more I can do? Just let me know. I'm genuinely sorry. But if any of these apologies, they say, no, fuck off or leave me alone or I don't want to talk to you. I would leave them alone. I'm giving them what they're asking for. To me, that's them telling me their needs and me listening. Now, I'd probably leave them alone with the sentence like, okay, I understand you want your space. I still love you. I'm still here for you if you're ready to talk. And then I leave them alone. I believe that's respect. I also believe that's accepting that if I did something bad, they might not want a relationship with me anymore. And so, no, I don't buy this idea that you should have tried harder. That's like saying if you knock on my door and I don't answer, you should kick the door down. That's nonsense and bullshit. And it comes from movies, largely rom-coms, where the girl says the relationship is over and the guy forces his way back into her life. And it's usually all forgiven with some big kiss. Now, that isn't real and it's not romantic either. So leave that in the movies. Do not do that in real life. The person saying you should have tried harder should have communicated better and asked for their needs more. So how much easier would life have been, instead of saying you should have tried harder, have been if they had actually just said, I really want us to be back in each other's lives, but I'm still so angry with you and I'm still so sad and I don't know how to fix this, but I know I want to. Communication is a beautiful thing and, well, you don't get into situations like this if you only have people in your life who can communicate and you attract people who communicate like this when you improve your own communication. So I hope that explains the situation for you and it's a great example. So thank you for sending that in. 
The thing I am working on at the moment is trying to force myself to slow down after a busy period. So as I said earlier, my life has been quite full on since book publication in February. I had just about finished with that and then the world opened up and I got more work in a month than I had in the last year. And through all of this, I've been trying to keep up with the podcast and I won't lie, at the beginning of the season I had about four backed up and by the end of the season I mean I'm literally recording this on the week it is going out and I've even had to hire someone to edit my podcast because I literally have no time and I had always planned to go to 14 episodes like last season but with this being the last episode and going into the summer which even without the pandemic is often quite quiet what I find is when I come out of a busy period it's really tempting to keep making yourself busy You have all these stress hormones in your body and at some points I think I was purely running on adrenaline, especially because I was so used to being alone and if I don't consciously and intentionally slow my life back down to its normal pace, I'm not even saying it to a slow pace, I'm just saying my normal pace. I find what I do is I'm jumping from one project to another where I don't really consider what I'm doing or whether I want to do it. So one way I've learned how to realise I need to slow down is when my body starts feeling stressed. And so taking more time to meditate, focus on my breathing, making sure I'm doing one thing at a time, so no more multitasking. I'm so guilty of this, like I'm watching TV and I'm also on my phone at the same time. That is what I'm going to be focusing on over the summer or at least for the next month. And especially because I know the next few weeks are quiet. It's so hard when you're a freelancer because I just booked two one week holidays off for the summer. And already in the back of my head, I'm going, but what if that's the week someone books something in? And you know what? If they do, I'm going to lose the job because the only way I balance these busy periods is by allowing myself some quiet periods as well. My job has always been a bit of a roller coaster. It's either bored or too busy. But for the quiet periods, I really am trying to learn how to rejuvenate, recoup my energy. And that's going to ready me for my next period of busyness around my US book publication. So that's where I'll be in the podcast break if you want to know. Hi Michelle, my name's Sofia and I've got a question for you about apologies. So there is this friend of mine with whom I've been on a vacation uh, like two years ago. And uh, the problem with that vacation is that we spent the entire time uh, basically not even bickering but uh, making very passive-aggressive comments and basically having passive-aggressive fights and uh, that was really bad. But the thing is that uh, after that vacation we did spend some time uh, without talking to each other but and then uh, we are now pretty close friends. Uh, but the problem is that I still feel like there is this uh, unsolved thing between us that uh, basically is that vacation and the way we behaved in that vacation but I don't really know how to bring that up to her. Do you have any tips on that? Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye! Hey Sophia, so you are my special extra question for the final episode and largely I just want to squeeze this in because I relate to this so much. I actually said on Instagram the other day how traveling and living together are the two fastest ways to break a friendship and we don't talk about that enough. Also, I won't lie, I just had to pause before recording this episode because um, I just cancelled my trip to Cornwall and instead moved it to Mallorca instead. It's all COVID safe. I'm double jabbed and the person I am going with is literally one of the few friends I can travel with. And even with us, we had one really awful trip back in 2014 and we had to have a chat about it. It did take a few years to finally have it, but we are so different now. And anytime there's an issue, we talk about it straight away. And it has really changed our relationship. 
our last holiday was actually last summer and it worked really well because we learned how to communicate. So I think it's a really relatable situation, but it's also a very fixable one as well if both parties are invested in healing the communication. But until you have that conversation, it's just not going to sit right. And so I do think it's important to bring it back up into conversation. And it's very easy to do this with something as simple as, hey, do you ever think about that vacation we had? And then just do it in quite a non-confrontational, go into it with less of an accusatory tone and more of an exploratory tone. So something like, it was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? And then I would take ownership for my stuff. So again, I don't know the context of yours. So I'll share a little bit from my holiday that went wrong and use that as an example. So in 2014, we went on a post-exam ski trip with three other girls, except one person got ill. She happened to be the person I was sharing a bed with. And I was fine with that. I mean, I'm not that sensitive about colds and flus and that kind of thing. But she did do a number of things like leaving tissues around the apartment and then everyone on our side of it didn't do great things either. Like one of my friends said, Bagsy not sitting next to you on the plane, which is just mean and unnecessary. So when we had a conversation about it, how I opened up the conversation was I related to her. I understood it from her position. So I said, it must have sucked to be on a girl's trip and not be able to do anything and not be able to leave the apartment. And when she responded, she said, well, it was more than that and listed a number of things that were said. So I responded saying, well, I didn't actually say any of those things. And I agree with you, that was rude and I should have told them to stop. Because as much as I didn't say it, I can still take accountability for the fact that I didn't stand up for her or I didn't say something in that conversation because it did involve all of us. And it turned into this conversation of us bringing up our issues. We didn't entirely agree and a lot of the time we were using sentences like I can see why you thought that or I can see where you're coming from mentality And that's how I would do it. You don't need to resolve every single minute detail. You just have to understand where they're coming from and vice versa. The only way to have a hard conversation is to actually have it. There's no time limit on bringing up something that happened a while ago. And you bringing it up is probably just voicing what they're feeling anyway. When travel is involved, something I find is that it's really important to take account context so sometimes it's someone being stressed because they get stressed out when they're traveling and maybe they're lashing out because of that and just naming that will help in the situation so even just me saying when I was talking about the situation I knew you were really ill like recognizing that and saying coming from that place of empathy and really working hard to understand their mindset is what's going to help resolve these kind of conversations apologize for your part of it Ask for your needs to be met in terms of your own apologies for their actions and what you still feel upset about. And hopefully that helps. And I promise you will both feel so much better for having this conversation. Thank you so much for all the questions. This podcast literally couldn't happen without your voice notes. So thank you to everyone who sent in a voice note this season. If you'd like to be part of next season, you can still send in a voice note. I listen to every single one of them. So send your voice note to inallhonesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk. The email address will be in the description below. In the meantime, you can get either of my books, either Am I Ugly for a body image book or The Joy of Being Selfish for a boundaries book. And I will be back next season. You can catch me on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter in the meantime at ScarNotScared. And just thank you so much for listening to this season. And thank you for all the love, all the support. And if you've enjoyed this season, it would mean the world if you could leave a review 
take a screenshot of you listening to it put it in your stories share about it so other people can hear about this podcast too and just thank you from the bottom of my heart I've had so much fun recording this season and it's so nice to hear all of your voices every week and now I'm actually talking to real people which is just very nice thank you so much for listening sending you all my love bye Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.